Insights to Live By, the podcast, discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. When does talent development and training become holistic in our life skills? Hello and Welcome to Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman. So grateful to have you here. This topic has been in the making for months and months. We have been patient because it is so important. We have the right person here to help us. She is the editor and publisher of Training Magazine, Lori Freifeld. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Glad to be here. Wow. We have Align the Stars to, to get ourselves here today, we met some months back and you have conferences, you've got awards to judge, you know, the, you know, the life and challenges of an editor and publisher of a major magazine. What's that like? What's, you know, where's your day in the life? Um, well, I have to say that I'm one of the few people who actually loves what I do and I wouldn't want to do anything else. So, um, for me, um, there's always something new every day. There's always something new that I'm learning, which I think is amazing. And um, I love the, the fact that I judge awards means that I'm always learning about what organizations are doing when it comes to learning and development um, and talent development. And uh, the, the fact that we have a print magazine and we have online um, content and then I get to go to conferences and actually meet with people face to face, which we did not get to do, obviously, during the pandemic. So it was a really nice breath of fresh air to be back in Orlando in person in February um, with everyone and and get to hear from our keynoters and hear from our breakout session speakers and uh, and just meet with people and, and hear about their pain points and their challenges um, and the innovative solutions that they've all come up with during um, what continues to be some pretty challenging times these days. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, we're certainly going to get to the pendulum swinging with the pandemic and, you know, where it went, where it is now. Uh, I'm certainly going to bring some perspective on uh, this very topic because it's at the center of, of, of my heart and soul and what I love just the same, Lori. And uh, just to have an understanding, Training Magazine, you are overseeing the Training Top 100 you have an emerging training leader. Are those are your two awards? And then you've got this Hall of Fame. Is that how? So we actually, yeah, we rebranded the training um, top 100 to the Training Apex Awards last year. And we did that um, because I felt very strongly that I didn't want to be putting companies on the list that I didn't feel earned it. And so rather than having to fill a number right. every year, you know, with 100 companies, um, I put in a, a strong argument um, to, yeah. to change that, to, to rebrand it. And so now we're really looking at kind of that, that journey to optimal um, performance and success. And so now sometimes we have 95 winners, sometimes we have 105 winners, but it means that they have to meet that threshold right. that we set for um, earning a place on the list. So I we like have that. that program. So that looks at excellence in um, human capital development, employee yeah. training. And then, as you noted, um, we have our emerging well, training. Hang, hang, on one, hang on just one second before we get to the huh. emerging trainer. I'm with you, yeah. Lori. I am with you. You know, I, I have a journalism degree. I've been involved in publications before. It it takes away from it if you're trying to get exactly to 100. Because yes. in the 99-100, you're putting them on par. And maybe they didn't deserve mm -hmm. it because you're trying to force fit a number. Um, I love that you did that. If you, if, if you were coming to me with that argument, it wouldn't even, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. 
I'm just, just letting <laughs> yes. you know. All right. So yes. you have the emerging <laughs> training leaders. Yeah. So that's another program. And that looks at um, learning and development professionals who have been in the industry for between two and 10 years and are exhibiting um, strong leadership skills and business acumen and the ability to adapt to change, the ability to empower their people. Um, and so these are kind of our next generation of the um, chief learning officers and the VPs of training and the uh, directors of talent development, our chief um, human resources officers. And so the, these are really, um, you know, the, those folks who are, they're beyond high potentials that, you know, they're right on that cusp. And so we like to recognize those people too. And so while our training apex awards, we don't allow vendors, training vendors to apply for it. Our emerging training leaders, we do allow um, vendors to, to be oh, part of that. Well, um, and, yeah, so so it's a it's a good way for some individual recognition, um, and because I really feel very very strongly about this, that recognition is incredibly important, and um, you know it's it's more than just a pat on the back and and oh good job. I think public recognition um, is just empowerly, empower, incredibly motivating, and and just very powerful, and and. From what we've seen and what I've seen with this awards program is that people will pay it forward. So if they get nominated and they win, or even if they don't win, they are more inclined to nominate someone else in their organization or one of their clients or uh, customers or colleague in another organization. So I love the fact that it kind of just regenerates itself every year um, because I'm seeing more and more applications uh, or nominations from, from different organizations. It's also great for our Training Apex Award winners because they will nominate people within their organization maybe they did a fabulous job on the application maybe they just um, oversaw a fairly big uh, training initiative within the company and so it's just a really great way for for them to get that public recognition and uh, and, and have people understand the amazing work that they're doing because I don't think um, that the professionals in training get enough credit for the work that they do and the importance that they have for the organization right oh a hundred percent and I'm just gonna say I wouldn't mind being an emerging training leader being that it's open to partners out there. I got to figure out what the criteria are, but nothing to do with our, you know, you're the judge here. So there you go. Yeah, we're gonna I have keep, to recuse myself for that Please one. recuse <laughs> yourself. Exactly. Um, now, when you're looking at the cutoff, just from a, a, not as much best practices as much as criteria, what is, what, what are distinguishing these individuals who were at the top of their game? Like, what are some of the things that are in that cutoff in terms of, well, what makes somebody great in, in your, you know, judging them, you know, in their training profession? Mm -hmm. Sure. We look at um, the scope of the responsibilities that they took on in the last year. So is, has it widened, you know, where they originally maybe um, providing training to just one particular business unit and now they're doing it company wide, or did they take on new um, programs? Maybe they created a new onboarding program, or maybe they started something with sales training or diversity and inclusion program. So we, we look at, you know, new things that they've gotten involved in. And, and then we look at, you know, were they the ones who really spearheaded it and led it? Um, and, and so did they have people underneath them who were reporting to them and who they kind of delegated responsibilities to? Um, how much of the program were they responsible for? Did, were they involved in the evaluation part of it and looking at metrics? Were they working with senior leaders um, and business unit leaders to make sure that uh, they knew what the business goals were that they wanted to achieve and that they went back and circled back and, and saw that that actually got measured and then they did achieve it. And then we look at different um, types of skills that they have. So it could be adapting to change, how they use technology, how they innovate, 
um, how they work with their teams. Are they mentors? Are they coaches? Um, are they empowering their teams? Are their direct reports getting promoted? Um, are they taking on new challenges and responsibilities? So there's a whole um, laundry list of different uh, skills that we look at and, and they're scored. So kind of leading very nicely into your question about yeah. our training hall of fame. Well, I, I, you know, I, I have to say that um, I feel like I asked the right question. You did. You absolutely did. <laughs> that was such a great answer. And look, I understand in terms of the awards themselves that you're right. I mean, uh, you know, to raise people's profile to you know the recognition that they deserve matters a lot. People doing great work, advancing the profession, and uh, just take a moment to acknowledge you. Quite honestly, Lori, I, I, it's a little lonely at the top. I imagine you've been. Um, with Lakewood Media at Training Magazine for some time and to have you talk about how passionate you still are about everything, it's evident that you're behind the scenes doing the heavy lifting with what it is these awards programs are. I think it's fantastic and, and you're doing great work. So thank you for what you thank do. You. For I sure. appreciate that. And it's it's a great opportunity for me to work with our Training Hall of Fame judges. And so I'm mean, in answer to your question, um, the, the companies that make the top 10 for four consecutive years on our Training Apex Award winners um, program, they get inducted into the Training Hall of Fame. So right now we have um, 18 members and they serve as the judges along with me for the Hall of Fame, uh, for the Training Apex Awards applications along with the Emerging Training Leader nominations. It's great. It's involved. It takes a very- It is involved. <laughs> There's a lot of it wrangling takes, it takes going an on. attention to detail uh, type <laughs> person. You certainly bring it. Um, let's go to the pendulum question, right? That's where we were, where we were headed. Um, sure. You know, I, I certainly have an opinion on this, but you know, you're the guest. I'm just going to ask away. What, what are you thinking uh, in terms of how the pendulum, how would you describe the pendulum? Let's just float it out there. Um, in terms of oh darn work, it, it wasn't yeah. specific enough. No, I messed <laughs> yeah, up. Sorry. No, in terms of <laughs> I, I didn't want to go off and uh, and and training and and what's happened with things being virtual and now we're going back to more mm -hmm. hybrid and you know how's the training industry been affected? Um, whatever that pendulum is, sure or that pendulum. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so um, going way back to when I started with training back in 2007, um, e-learning was just starting out. And so it was, you know, oh, e-learning is going to take over everything. In-person classroom training is going to go away. And then we had massive open online courses and that was going to, you know, change the world. Nobody was going to go to college anymore. They were all just going to sit in their room and, and do online courses. And gradually everybody kind of realized, you know, in-person training is really necessary, right? Um, and, and so it was still being done. Then the pandemic came and suddenly, we had no choice. Right. That, you know, for 99% for of the training that had to be done, um, with the exception of, you know, first responders and um, other people who had to physically be in the field um, or out there, it was, it was being done virtually. And so a lot of those companies, you know, they might have been dabbling in virtual, they might have been doing some virtual, but um, they all had to change on a dime very, very, very quickly. And so they, figured out how to do it. And, and suddenly we're all on Zoom, right? Right. Um, it's a boom for Zoom. You know, yeah. It was a boom for Zoom. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, as we went along with the pandemic, they got better at it, right? Because it's really hard to engage people virtually. Um, you know, you can, you can do so much. You can do breakout rooms and you can do interaction and you can ask questions. You can do polls and quizzes. But the reality of it is a lot of people are still answering emails underneath. So that was difficult. And so as we went along, um, they figured out some of that. But I think 
as we started to come out of the pandemic, and we're still not out of it, obviously, but but as we're, we're, we started coming back in person again, I think people realize the value of in-person training. And so I don't know that it's going to necessarily go back to pre-pandemic levels. And we're, we, we're going to find out a little bit more about that. We do our training industry report, and that's one of the questions that we, we've been asking the last couple of years. Um, and, and so gradually, you know, now we're asking kind of, okay, are there certain types of training that you are bringing back to in-person? You know, right. leadership training, for example, a lot of people were saying um, leadership training suffered by doing it only virtually, um, that they really needed to be in-person. They really needed that in-person contact for mentoring um, and for peer-to-peer coaching and for doing things on cohorts and for right. doing people experiences were, were stunted. together. They were stunted because the, right. the training utility wasn't there to do in-person. Exactly. And onboarding was another one. I mean, we had uh, one of our Hall of Famers said they hired thousands of people. It was like 30,000 people who never stepped foot in the office, never met their boss, never met their colleagues in person because they couldn't. Right. So, So now you have these people who have been with the company for three years and never met anyone in person. And so they're they're kind of trying to figure out. Okay, we, we think it's really important that they ultimately meet each other. And so now they're they're working that out. Um, right. and, and now they're 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 going back to in person onboarding. And so you so know I I think the pendulum is swinging back. Yeah, that's what that's um, my thought is it, it's swinging back because people are experiencing this deficit. Um, and it's not only from a you know training best practices you know, helping people be focused, like you said, you know, underneath they're doing their emails, you know, virtually, and it's really tough to hold attention and deliver in a, um, I guess the pedagogical, right? Is that right? In terms of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, the effectiveness of the training itself is limited. So, yeah. so what does, uh, what do you think the ideal is now? What are companies striving for that would put them in the best position to, have a, a world-class training program? I think what it is is figuring out the right mix. So it's it's figuring out kind of what are your priorities and then and then making sure that you are figuring out what learner preferences are because that's a really p- big piece of it. Learners don't learn if you're not presenting it to the way in the, in the way that they learn best, right? So if I am a visual learner and you insist that I learn on an audio podcast, the reality of it is I'm going to listen to it and I'm not going to remember a thing tomorrow um, because that's not how I learn. I need something in writing. Um, other people need to actually be doing it. So I think a lot of it is in, is figuring out what works best for learners and offering them different options and making sure that um, the content is available to them so that they can go back um, and look at it. I think reinforcement is a really big piece and that doesn't get done enough because people just Oh, I did the, you know, we did the training, checked, we checked the box, we provided it next. And the, those boosters, you know, where the managers have a conversation afterward, where they have check-ins, or they send an email every week and say, oh, did you remember this fact that was in training last week? Um, or, oh, are you doing this stuff? That's so important. And I think that's a piece that, miss, that gets missed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and the other thing that I think is really important is actually going back and evaluating the behavior change and those business metrics. And, and so we, that gets missed a right. lot. Um, that's part of that Kirkpatrick model, level three and level four. And that's something that we look at on the applications a lot. Um, and so if you, you know, I can say as the learner that yes, I changed my behavior until the cows come home. And the reality of it is I might very well not have, but if you ask my manager right. or you ask my customer, um, they're going to be the ones who say, yes, absolutely. Um, 
well, you know, Lori, Lori's articles are way better now than they were before the training or, or whatever it is. So, I mean, uh, you know, look, I mean, anywhere that you can get some accountability, right? So if it's going to mm-hmm. be in a performance review, uh, that a manager and how well they're serving in the training needs of their people, uh, you know, those sorts of things, um, I, I think certainly, you know, add to anything that can be a metric. Um, and, and the same thing for social learning, uh, while, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, in one, in some cases, you know, training is the tr- way a training program is set up. It's set up. And so then you're throwing in a variable of different kinds of learners and how do you accommodate them in order to write or arrive at a, at an end point. And I think that, I think that social learning has a lot to do with, uh, well, number one, keeping people accountable to one another and themselves in order to work through the training, but it adds that intimacy, that, that dimension, almost like a mini book club. That's kind of how I'm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, my listeners know that's how I present my content, and and sure. it's essential to have the social uh, team building element. And the only way to to really understand it is to do it. That's the other, that's the other part. But yeah, I mean, that's why gamification is such a big piece, right? People are competitive. Um, they love seeing their name on the leaderboards. They like competing as teams. They like competing as individuals. And so we see that a lot. Um, a lot of our Hall of Famers are, are trying to implement learning in the flow of work. So as opposed to, okay, stop everything and go to a training, it's you're actually learning as you're doing your work. So if you need a certain resource, you can access it within, you know, if you're in Teams or you're in whatever system you're in, you don't have to get out of that application to go find the answer to something. Right. And so that's a, a big piece of, of what we're seeing these days. Okay. Yeah, I mean... You know, we can go so many different directions on such a, a general topic. I think that, you know, there are two trends that I think are important to address. One, of course, with the pandemic, you know, we realize it's not necessarily work life, personal life. It's just life. You know, we're not we're not professionals and personal. We're actually human beings. So there's a holistic uh, shift that has, uh, you know, has come about as well. Um, let's start there. What do you, you know? have training programs shifted to accommodate. Now the other one's going to be wellness integrating. So uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Sure. So um, one of the categories in our application that we asked about, do you provide training? And this is health and wellness. That is a big piece. Um, And and we, we do see um, just about all of our winners are doing something along those lines. Um, and, And whether that's, uh, you know, certain employee assistance programs or it's, you know, doing, a mile walk every Friday, or it's, uh, you know, check-ins with managers, all those different types of things. They are doing something around that. Um, what I was exploring for our issue in May coming up, and then we talked about um, earlier, was, you know, it kind of starts with the leaders, right? So if the leaders aren't modeling that behavior and and aren't trained on how to help employees find the resources they need and, and work through some of these things and understand the, the work-life balance that's so necessary these days, then all those programs are not going to be useful. So it really starts with training leaders first. And, um, you, you know, you had asked me originally, well, are, are people really doing that? Right. It's, it's slow. I'm not going to say everyone's doing that, but I think they're coming around to it, to the fact that, you know, leaders need to understand how to be active listeners and they need to understand how to reach out to their teams and, and ask them what's going on with them, not just in their professional lives, because that's important, but, um, you know, not trying necessarily, but also being aware of things that are happening in their personal lives that might require them to take some more time or might require some flexibility or might require just some understanding um, of, of where they are. And so I think 
now we're really seeing organizations try to prepare leaders for that role um, and, and really have an understanding, be empathetic um, with people. And so there's more formalized training around that than just kind of saying to the leaders, well, just figure out what your people are doing and, right. and make it work. Right. And, you know, while we're on topic, I know the May issue, and it's one of the reasons why we're, we, we've timed it as we have, is, is special in and around this area. Is there anything more about the issue? You know, please don't hesitate to share because people want to know. Yeah. Um, uh, what about that? this coming month? So so May is our leadership development issue. And so we do our annual leadership development survey um, with our partner, Wilson Learning. And so this year we had 2,200 respondents, which is um, a really big number. In the, in the past, we're, we're typically closer to the 700 to 1,000 respondents. So, so clearly this topic resonated with a lot of people. And so we asked about, you know, your investment in leadership development. And we asked about how does that change? And we asked about how you're delivering your leadership development training and how has that changed? And interestingly enough, um, people were trending more toward the, the technology side. So they were looking at the um, artificial intelligence and some augmented reality and some, some other things there. But when you ask them how effective it was, they said it wasn't that effective. Mm. So it, it was interesting that they were moving away from you know some of the in-person things and some of the mentoring and doing more of the tech stuff, but but then they were saying it wasn't effective. So that was an interesting, that is interesting. Um, kind of dichotomy for me. So uh, you know we'll kind of see how that goes. But we we asked them about um, you know are you doing leadership character programs because that's another thing. It's um, character was a, a pretty big piece for people and asking about trust and ethics. Um, and, and then diversity and inclusion was another thing that we looked at. And and so a lot of those results, um, we asked respondents for their best practices around what they're doing. And it was you know all about right-sizing your investment in leadership development and figuring out the best ways to deliver it, um, keeping that diversity and equity piece in there, even though it had dropped down in the, the necessary skills that, that as people rank them. So I think that also ties into that wellness piece too, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's the right segue, and thanks for explaining that and looking forward to the issue. Um, that you know, wellness, I think, has certainly been a big theme. And, uh, you know, while on the one in and around a pendulum, I think the pendulum has swung back. I, I don't know that companies are investing as much or they were really enough, you know, doing so in the first place on wellness programming. And to me, like there's, you know, there's no universal uh, uh, comment that, that applies to how wellness is done across the board in, in various companies. My sense is that it's disconnected from maybe HR or L&D, um, that it's not integrated. It's not being done holistically in a way that more traditional work-life skills that are being, you know, emotional intelligence and critical thinking, right? Some, right, some of these, these mm -hmm. fundamentals, same thing goes with, you know, health and wellness, self-care type skills should be right in there with those. And uh, my sense is that I'll get off the soapbox here, but I, I think that uh, companies have been, uh, if they weren't already, they're, they're certainly checking a lot of boxes and they're only scratching the surface. And then you've got issues almost analogous to what you were talking about before, Lori, with the artificial intelligence, that the, the utilization is low. So even if you're providing apps or access to coaches or, you know, all those different things are uh, reactive, right? And, and so you're leaving it to an employee to go get it when they're unlikely to do that in the first place. So I just see a lot of things falling down and 
I wish you had, do you have any answers on fixing it? That's really where I was going. Um, I don't necessarily, but I, I do think that companies are, are realizing it. Um, I think it was, it was interesting. One of the people that I talked to for this story, um, said, you know, there's, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health issues, um, around stress and burnout and depression and, and, and everything. And so a lot of employees, you know, don't want to admit that there is a problem. Um, and, and so they don't want to be known as they're the one who has some sort of mental issue problem. Sure. Um, and, and so there's that stigma to it. And so they're, you know, they're not willing to put themselves out there. I think sometimes leaders are not empathetic about it. And so, you know, if, if you know your boss is just not going to be understanding, you're just not going to say anything. You're just going to keep well, doing whatever you're doing. I, I'm right? going to interject and say they don't know how to be empathetic because they were never trained on how to be better. And, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So. Well, exactly. And that's why a lot of these programs now kind of, they kind of start with that. So they start with, um, they start with the self-care, like you mentioned, because again, a lot of leaders are, they're answering emails on vacation. They are, you know, up at midnight and, and I'll admit I'm, I'm one of those people, but I'm not a morning person. So I'm not the one up super early, you know, sending emails at four in the morning. I might send it at midnight, but I'm sleeping in in the morning. But so, but I, but I think you have that kind of culture of, of leaders are expected to be on 24 seven and then they expect their employees to be on 24 seven and you, you end up with this vicious cycle. And so if the, the leader is not modeling that, you know, when I go on vacation, I'm going on vacation, you're not going to hear from me. And when you go on vacation, I don't expect to hear from you unless something's on fire. Um, I think that's really important. And, and that's a message that doesn't get right. across to a lot of people. Right. And, and so I think it's that combination, but I, but I do think, um, companies are wrestling with, okay, we can put all these offerings out there. Um, we, we're, we're not making it mandatory. A lot of them are making it mandatory for leaders to go through it now. So they, they are insisting that their leaders go through it, but we can't make it mandatory for employees to go through it. And so, there's that disconnect of, okay, how do we get the employees to use all these resources that are available? And so what, what one organization said is that they always have um, kind of a, a self-led option. So they may offer in-person things where you can talk to a group, where you can talk to a mentor, you can talk to a buddy or whatever, but there's also always a self-led option. So it could be there's some sort of portal with that houses resources. There's a contact list for you to go contact people on your own. Right. So so you, you don't have that feeling of your privacy getting getting invaded or you're not be making yourself vulnerable. Right. And so I think that's one place that um, organizations are going to need to start sure. um, is making it available and making sure that everybody knows it's available, but that there's nothing, you know, there's no obligation associated with it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm glad you're optimistic and that you're seeing, you know, some good signs of what you're describing, you know, on the whole, um, because you are dealing with a lot of the best practices companies for the purposes of the awards. You, you know, you get to see the upper echelon, but, you know, speaking for employees, I think they're frustrated uh, with these half thought out, half hearted solutions that don't solve their problems. Yes. Right. And that the employers have to put their actions where their interests lie and support their people. It's like the burnout epidemic. And it's it is. And you ask any HR person, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that happens as a result of prolonged neglect and as typically uh, an ongoing symptom of, you know, the tail wagging the dog. If the company's running you ragged, you know, that's you don't you know, you're not in a position to uh, have control over, you know, how your days are spent. Um, you know, that's the company's issue, but they still 
can't imagine there's this magic bullet that's just going to make everybody feel better because you're giving them an app. So no, no it's, it's not going to happen. And, and, you know, force feeding people training is, it doesn't work either. Um, my husband works in a car dealership and they went to this new system and every three weeks or something like that, it won't let him do anything for his job until he does this training module. So yeah. what that means is he has to drop like big everything, yeah. right. And, and go through this training module and, and pass it with whatever it is, 80%, whatever. And so, you can't do your job. So now that means everything comes to a screeching halt. Well, that's a right. stupid way to do it, right? And, that's and lazy that's, compliance. Lazy compliance, yeah. right? They shouldn't right. have done it that way. They needed him to do it. Well, and it and it's right. not his it's not the dealership doing it. It's the overall right. It's car a communication of failure. I mean, from right. our profession, we can look at that and say bad experience. You shouldn't be providing your husband a bad experience. I'm right there with you. Um <laughs> So, you know, we are going to move on our, our insights to live by in just a bit. But, you know, in this particular case, Lori, you being the subject matter expert, finger on the pulse of all things training, uh, talent development, I, I, I want to make sure we can't cover it all, but I want to make sure there's no major gap. Is there anything in particular that you think is worthy to share here? It's a broad question um, that I might have missed asking you about because I'm not the subject matter expert. There is something. Um, I think that, and, and we kind of touched on a little bit, but chat GPT and other artificial intelligence um, is going to make an impact on training. Um, it, I've heard it said that it could be kind of like the um, beginning of the internet for, for us in terms of, you know, kind of a seismic what, change. What, what is it? We got to back up a half step. Not everyone knows what sure. you're Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, ChatGPT is is this idea of, of a of a chatbot that can pull content um, and create content for you. So you put in a prompt. So let's say I put in a prompt that says I want to know what the top three learning and development trends are today. It is going to go through and search through um, all different articles, all different pieces of content that are out there, and then pull it together for me um, in in whatever format I want. So if I want it in a thousand words, it'll give me something in a thousand words. If I want it in ten bullet points, it'll give it to me in ten bullet points. If I want it written in the style that I, Lori Freifeld, writes an article in, it's going to do that. So there are tremendous benefits and possibilities for it um, because you can create um, learning content, you can create courses, you can create instructional design, you can wow. use it to help you market your training, you can use it to create quizzes and polls and all different types of things, depending on how good you are with the prompts for it. Hmm. Um, the scary part of it for me as it's a all journalist and just all in, in general, <laughs> is, yes, yes. Um, and, and I will admit that my that's my first um, reaction to it. Right is that, um, you know, it's it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out, right? So it's pulling content from everywhere. It's not necessarily verified content. Mm. It's not, um, and, and the more content that, so if I put in a certain amount of content and it pulls from it, right? The next time I ask for content, it's still gonna be pulling from that. If everybody starts using it, the content that's in there is gonna end up being just recycled the same content. right? generated, ultimately generated by this chatbot. So there is no original creative thinking going on. And so from from a personal standpoint uh, and a journalistic standpoint, sure. um, I find that horrifying. But um, does that say I'm not gonna use it? No, um, uh -huh. but I think we need to be 
careful um, and we need to kind of dip our toes in before we go dashing and running into the water here. I mean, Lori, look, you know your stuff, no doubt about it. Everything you just described, uh, I, I honestly don't imagine most of the listeners, including myself, are going to fully grasp what it is that you're describing. Look, at the same time, uh, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. I typed my papers in college. You know, the whiteout ribbon. Mm -hmm. That was really yeah. the most intimidating thing I had to face. Um, wow. You know, it's a new world. And uh, I, yeah. I I look forward to, to what it is that you're describing, as long as I'm not the one doing the programming. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so now, look, before we get to your insights to live by, you may know that we have uh, a segment on the show just to get to know guests a little better. Uh, it's the Wheel of Insights, Lori, and we have 12 questions here in your little pie chart. You're going to see spin, and let's see what we can find out about you. You ready? I'm ready. It's got the sound effect and everything. Now, Lori, you can <laughs> uh, choose to pass. You're the guest, or you can answer. Mm -hmm. uh, what popped up is influential relative. Anyone you want to acknowledge, shout out to? Absolutely, sure. Um, I will say that my grandfather... Uh, my, my mom's dad um, probably was the one who influenced me to go into journalism. So he was actually, he worked for UPI in the days of the wire services. And wow. um, yeah, he started as a, as a copy boy and he moved all the way up to, to a writer. And um, I always looked up to him for that and, and knew that I wanted to be a writer since I was in junior high school. So um, it was nice to follow in his footsteps and, and, just um, kind of benefit from his wisdom and, and learn from him. That's awesome. I remember those wire services. I started my career in PR. I, I probably, maybe I met him. I don't know. <laughs> you might have. It goes way back, way back. Thank you. That's such a nice share. All right. Now uh, we're going to spin again. Now influential relative will never be asked of another guest. These are all isolated questions. You're the only one who will ever have to answer this. If you choose Lori, who is your favorite Hollywood legend? This is a first time on the wheel question. Oh, interesting. Now you, you Very know, interesting. We can, we can pass if you're, you're not in the old movie thing. Um, we can move on. It's fine. Um, does it have to be a movie? Because to be honest with you. We are um, re-spinning already. We are oh, moving on. Okay. If you have to. I, you have right, been, I have to be quick. If I had a different sound <laughs> effect to like gong you, it'd be over. <laughs> um, something like what few people know. What few people know about you. This is not the easiest question, but does something come to mind? We can move on. No, that's okay. Um, what few people know is that uh, my husband and I have an Indy Pace car that uh, it's a Camaro, and we take it to different car shows. And uh, and most people who know me would say that I'm probably the last person in the world they would think is a car girl. But we have a good time, and that's it's fun. Awesome. <laughs> Um, you're right. I'd never would have, I, I wouldn't have guessed that, but what an awesome hobby. That's a lifestyle, right? You're out and about and you're set up with, with the car and mm -hmm. it's nice to show off. And I'm sure you make a lot of good friends, you know, in that whole community, uh, to, to say the least. All right. Now to our featured segment and uh, thank you so much for everything you've shared so far. Uh, in this case, we're looking for some life lessons. They don't have to do with, have to do with training or any topic we've covered. These are your takes on life. Um, what is your first insight to live by? My first one is to unplug. Um, I am a big fan of, at some point, 
I well, every day at some point I go for a 45 minute walk. I leave my phone at home. I do not take my phone. I do not take earbuds. I don't take music. I just walk. And that's my time to either figure things out for work. Sometimes it's a headline, an article, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just enjoying the nice weather. It's, you know, looking at what people are doing with their houses. It's looking at the birds and the trees and the flowers. Um, but it's, it's my time to not be looking at a screen. Um, and I apply that when I go on vacation. When I go on vacation, I do not check email. I let everybody know that I'm not checking email. Um, and, and yes, when I get back, there are 5 million emails in my box and I spend the next two weeks going through them. But for the week that I am not in the office, I think I seriously think my heart rate goes down 10%. Um, I'm, it's my way of recharging. Right. And it doesn't work for everyone. No, a lot of people have that you know fear of missing out and, and they just they can't disconnect from their devices. But um, not listening to the news, not although maybe hearing the baseball game because I'm a Mets fan. But um, oh, interview it, over. <laughs> sorry, my husband's a Yankee fan. But uh, interview way over. Way over. Uh, we're Phillies. We're from New York. We're Phillies on. fans, of course. No, please continue. Yeah. Please. Anyway, so that's that's my first one is I think um, figure out a way to unplug. I think it's really important, um, you know, meditate, do something, sit outside for 10 minutes, whatever it is. But but stay away from the devices for a little bit. It, it's, um, it sounds very meditative in and into itself. <laughs> and uh, I, I love the FOMO reference as well. It's <laughs> be very hard for people to do what it is that you're describing. Uh, but at the same time you know, that's what it takes to, to tame our distractions and bring ourselves into a state of presence and observation and mindfulness and, uh, you know, intentionality. You know, that's where all the joys in life happen, Lori. If you're not, if, if nobody's home, if you're not in the present, uh, so, so that's the right approach to do that. Okay. That was my yeah, and, and just to add to that, yeah, it's the it's sure. the when when people go to concerts or they go whatever and they're holding up their phones and they're streaming it, they're watching the concert through their phone. And I always feel like you just paid all that money to go to a concert. You should be watching it with your eyes, not through your phone. I love it. Just a personal opinion. No, I'm with you. I didn't really process that one, but I. We would have a lot to agree on, Lori. I haven't not agreed with anything that you said so far. Um, so into our second insight to live by, mm -hmm. what what comes to mind? Move out of your comfort zone, no matter how hard it is. Um, I am an admitted introvert. It is very difficult for me to do public speaking. Um, I'm not comfortable with it. It's not my favorite thing to do. I love to write. I love to edit. I love to organize. Um, but working for Training Magazine, um, I had been there for a couple of years, and they said, you know what? We want you to be the face of the magazine, um, whereas before I was always behind the scenes. And my first thought was, ha, no way, not a chance, not going to happen. Um, and I, then I thought about it and I thought, no, you really, you need to do this. Um, even if you're really incredibly bad at it, at least you've tried it. And then you can go from there. Um, you can either get trained to do it better or you can decide this is really not for me um, and, and move on. And that is one of the best things I ever did. Am I comfortable standing in front of 1600 people introducing keynoters or emceeing a gala for 400 people? No, but I don't hyperventilate anymore, right. um, and I actually do have a good time. So I think it's very important to do that um, and, and just push yourself a little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot, but, you know, stretch a little bit. I love it. And, you know, the fact that you're walking the talk, you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you step into a role, there's no other way but be in the role that you're in. You have to be doing the things that you described. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I guess you can look at Training Magazine as your other Camaro. 
Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Take it, take yes. it and show it off. All right. Now to yes. your third and final insight to live by Lori. What this do you is have? a tough one for me to make up my mind on, but I think um, really it's, it's kind of owning your mistakes and being humble. I think um, sometimes it's just easy to try and slide out of something um, and, and, and not own it. And so I'm a big fan of just saying, I did it. I'm sorry. Um, and, and I'm going to figure out how to make it right. And, um, and sometimes just by doing that, you come up with a better solution. And so, um, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid. I think sometimes we we all don't want to take the risk. Um, and, and so, you know, nobody wants to fail, but sometimes we learn the most from those failures. And, and I think that's a really important lesson that I've learned myself. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get out of your own way. Um, and at the same time, it's like, I'm going to sidebar here for just a, a moment and then we'll have some final, some final thoughts. Um, but generally speaking, um, this is too much of a sidebar. All right. We'll come back. We'll, okay. It's like, oh my goodness, okay. I can't do this. It's going to be too much. Um, I have to cut some things out of the program. I think it's the right insight to live by. Um, we've never really had that said, believe it or not, on the show and uh, you know taking responsibility i i guess the one thing i'll say is that it, it's almost like with regret where if i'm trying to step outside of my comfort zone for example i ask myself i put i do the regret test you know will i regret not doing it and then i've created this other thing that i that i hate more than not doing so i do it so i don't have the regret and when it comes to taking responsibility taking ownership I don't really have as, any issue with just not, it's almost, a, it's almost a shortcut to not make things worse. You know, yes. like you own it yes. you'd be like, well, I'm saving myself from what? By stretching out and be, you know, trying to, you know, admit I'm right about something when it's a learning experience and, you know, be humbled by it. And right. So but be transparent. Uh, so much easier. It's a maturity thing. I guess <laughs> I have to admit. All right. Now, um, a lot marinating. We're, we're in the wrap up phase. Any final thoughts that you have for, you know, training magazine, people can go learn more about Lori and the May issue coming up on leadership development at trainingmag.com. Easy to find. Lori, what are your final yeah. thoughts? Anything? Um, I just want to say that I, I know there's a lot going on today and, and a lot of it is pessimistic. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, noise around us that we all face and, and we're dealing with. But I, I want to be optimistic. And I and I really think that if you if you approach it with this um, kind of continuous learning mindset, that it's going to make a difference in your life. And so I, I don't want to sound preachy or anything, but I but I really think that, you know, be curious, um, be empathetic, listen more than you talk. Um, sometimes I don't do that because I am from New York, but, um, you know, I, I try. I, I think we all just need to kind of take that step back um, and, and evaluate your life, evaluate what you're doing, evaluate where you want to be. Because sometimes I think we're in that frantic pace of, oh, my gosh, I have to do this and I have to do this and do this. And, and you're not kind of looking a little bit farther ahead to, well, where do I want to be right. um, in two years, in three years? And that's both personally and professionally. Um, because again, I think we all get caught up in work and we get caught up in family stuff. And, and sometimes we just don't have enough time for ourselves. And so it's it's carving out that little bit of time for you to think without everything buzzing around your head. It's easy to blink and have time go by. 
and yeah. not have done what it is that you're describing is just being intentional. And I, I love just the positivity about it, the optimism. I mean, that's the choice. You're making the choice. Right. And I, I, I'd love to see more people do it as well. Lori, thank you so much for being my guest, covering deep thoughts on the training industry and um, more than worth the wait. It's great to see you. Thanks so much, Matt. I appreciate you having me here today. It's a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Please feel welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram and make the most of our free resources to improve your life for good at mattzinman.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.